for a few weeks in early spring, the only sounds that I heard were those of songbirds and sirens. The country battled to protect the NHS, save the lives of people struggling to breathe. The world was being forced to stop, pause and let the planet draw a collective breath. I'm Ros Miller, a mid-career medic who found herself disillusioned about healthcare in the UK long before the lockdown of 2020. Songbirds and Sirens is for anyone interested in the biggest challenges medics face today. How to practice the basic tenets of being a good doctor, simply caring for people safely, while simultaneously delivering the latest medical advances in a world of rapidly changing technology and instant gratification. From the highlands of Scotland to the hidden doors of Harley Street, I have found two consistent things. One, medics don't wake up in the morning thinking, today I'm going to do a bad job. Exactly the opposite, we want to help people, to have the time to care for our patients and to do our very best for them. And number two, patients, regardless of whether they are down and out or a dame, all crave exactly the same things, to be seen, to be heard, and to know that for a moment in time, at least someone cares. Songbirds and Sirens is the start of a conversation society needs to have with itself. For me, it's the chance to catch up with colleagues and some friends to find out how the last few months have changed their perspectives and influenced their values. In this episode, Donna and I chat about her life during lockdown and she recalls her past experience of being a patient. And what did you do to relax and enjoy yourself? So I'd probably say the same as most, you know, down to the pub. I like uh, afternoon grazing, I must admit, especially on a nice day with a beer. So, yeah, spending time with family, friends, but then just actually shutting the doors because I don't get very much me time. I value that me time. So I like being just at home, no one bothering me as well. But, yeah, a balance of the both. A lot of time out with friends, in drinking, the usual, balanced with doors closed, peace and quiet at home, which I didn't get enough of, without a doubt. I mean, I know that you like travelling. Yeah. I mean, how often in a year pre this would you be doing some travelling? God, the year before that, probably five months out of the 12, six months out of the 12 the year before. A trip every two months was probably average. Yeah, the last couple of years, definitely. Since we've built the business and we've been able to. Yeah. Right. So that's definitely one of the advantages of having had your own business is to obviously one get the profit in it, which doesn't come easily, but then also to have the flexibility to take your own holiday time. Yeah. We pick and choose when we can go. We're not dictated to by school holidays, prices. We our circle of friends. I love my friends before, but you know, unfortunately they can't play as hard as I do right now. So the community we're in within the investment side of things, we're all on a level playing field. So we can, I spend a lot more time travelling with that group of people. So would it be fair to say that after three or four years of really hard graft, on the back of 20 plus years before of that, you had got to a point in your life that life was pretty good. You were about to celebrate your 50th birthday, big, big, yeah. big party planned and yeah. a number of trips planned. So January of this year, you were sitting pretty. Yeah, yeah. January this year, I was looking forward to a whole year of celebration, if I'm honest. Yeah, I was going to celebrate my 50th a lot. (laughs) And so then, bang, and this happens, and quite literally, rug from under your feet taken away. Yeah. 
and from everybody. So yeah, I've done a birthday in lockdown, but it wasn't as significant a one. Um, disappointment? At first, yeah. When that first trip that we thought we weren't going on to Tenerife, Tenerife got closed, but a lot of the world was still open. So we were due to go on a Monday. So Saturday afternoon, we were like, send us anywhere. So we actually did go away for that and come back just before it really got intense and before we got locked down. But then the other trips kind of, yeah, real disappointment. And the party, because I did have a huge party planned and it was bringing people from both my worlds together, from all over the UK, Ireland, Scotland. Yeah, that was going to be a really big thing for me. So that was disappointing for that not to happen. And three other trips in May and June. So yeah, that was disappointing at first. But I think everybody adjusted very, very quickly. And, and, you know, that whole saying, it is what it is, just became normal. I'll be honest, the disappointment went away really, really quickly. I got over it. Yeah, quick. Even when we open up again now the rest of this year, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry to get back out on them trips at all, to be honest. I'm quite relaxed about it at the moment. I mean, you are incredibly busy. Have you had downtime to pause and reflect at all? Oh, God, yeah. The uh, the lockdown just stopped everything. Because my mentoring is one-to-one live all over the UK, that stopped. The construction side of what we do stopped instantly. And our business kind of just ticked along. Yeah, we just suddenly weren't busy. We had a couple of weeks where it was like, well, this is nice. You know, we're going to have a little bit of time to relax. And before we knew it, we'd been relaxing for five or six weeks. And, you know, after that initial panic of, oh, my God, it was all about the finances. Every day I was on the spreadsheet checking my, checking this, checking that. But after that initial panic, it was kind of like, this is nice. You know, chill out, relax and enjoy it. And we relaxed right into it. It's been absolutely great. We've, I've never been so chilled with so much downtime, if I'm honest. Stay in lockdown. <laughs> well, I was going to say, do you feel that actually probably you really needed that? Yeah, we had a plan. We knew we were going flat out. And um, even at the level we're at now, we're still coached. And the conversation that we had with our coach was that we were um, going to finish our last big deal that we were working on and take some downtime. So I had took a break from mentoring and planned in this year. So it's really, really weird. I laugh about this because it feels like, you know, I took my downtime and the world joined me. So it was really nice because it was as we planned. We did plan to take a break. Not quite like this, as long or as completely hands off. But no, it kind of fell into our plan for this year of chilling out, consolidating. We thrashed it for, for nearly four years flat out. So it was time to reap the reward, if you like, for a while and chill out. And it happened forcefully yeah how's it been with family and friends kept up stayed in touch has there been challenges for you been things that have been difficult depended on the person so like with my mates no we have zoom parties with the community we have a fizzy friday so we're all keeping in touch and having a good night on a friday night where we've had the quiz and stuff with my close friends in the area again technology has been a great thing i suppose the challenge has been mum and dad in the vulnerable category so it was well she's learned how to facetime let's let's do that i do spend most of the time looking at her ear because clearly she forgets <laughs> but yeah just be able to call but last probably the last six weeks we've been going to the bottom of the garden and she's sitting on the doorsteps 
yeah, but we brought around because uh, Trevor and I, we were quite ill, so and the, the loss of smell and taste and everything. So we think we had it. So we brought around her, and my dad came around, sat in the garden, the opposite side of the garden. We did a barbecue for them. So we've had that contact now, which makes it feel a little bit better. So we'll probably do, if the weather turns again, we'll probably do that again in, in a week or two. So, yeah, it's not been too bad on a whole. I think it makes you want to talk to people more, which is nice. Have you reconnected with anybody in Facebook or anything from 20 years ago in the past? Has it forced you to, or given you an opportunity to do any of that kind of stuff? Or are you not bothered about the past? Are you somebody that's <laughs> I suppose you have a little bit more downtime. So I'm not one for Facebook as a rule. I've just never had time for it because it's so time consuming yeah. and sucks you in and you lose hours. But now with times being a little bit relaxed, I suppose I've, I've liked and commented on stuff I wouldn't have before. And so there's been, you know, a, hey, how are you? And I've got a lot of friends and family in Ireland and Australia. So it's been nice to be able to have the time to chat with them a little bit more than I would normally, probably. So I just want to change tact a wee bit. And, and if you can't answer this, don't worry about it. But I mean, you obviously had a big injury back in the day and have experienced being in hospital first time and the challenges that that um, poses. Um, could you imagine having to do that just now in lockdown? when you wouldn't have your family around you? No, that would be awful. Yeah, I can't imagine because when you being in hospital, no matter what the situation is that puts you there, no matter what age or personality style you're there, it, it can be a pretty scary experience. So no, I had Trev there the whole time when I went off to sleep to surgery, when I woke up. Yeah, my heart goes out to anybody now that's got to experience being in, in hospital because it must be... 10 times more scary because there is an absolute fear around being in hospital for a normal person anyway. It's one of the scariest experiences you have. So to be able to do it on your own. And I think one of my biggest fears was my mum's not a confident person. She's quite a frail person and quite dependent. And the thought of her having to have gone into hospital during this, I would have been terrified. No, I wouldn't have liked that at all. I'm assuming it was the NHS that you were in. Yeah. It's been inspirational watching how just the great British public has got behind, you know, saving and supporting the NHS. I think we're all agreed that there are things that are fantastic about the NHS, principally the people that are in it. I'm going to challenge you. And again, if you don't want to answer, feel free. But were there any frustrations or any things that you didn't like about, you know, just as a patient being in the NHS that you felt, you know, just should have been done slightly differently in this day and age? had a really good experience with regards to the staff and the process I think there was a lag a time lag I ended up paying for my MRI scan because the waiting list was a long time so to just get the scan in to get me that little bit more advanced was something I chose to do back then so yeah I guess the only thing I can remember being negative about the whole experience was that there was such a delay and such a long wait for every process of it, be it the scans, the appointments. But the actual experience and the way I was taken care of was spot on. It was great. Yeah, good experience. Yeah, and I think, you know, as clinicians, there is a massive frustration for us around the fact that, and that is the difference between the two sectors, and that's essentially what you're paying for is accessibility, rapidity of diagnosis, and then probably also the surroundings that you're in. Um, definitely a bit more comfortable probably a lot more dignity actually in some of the 
um, private facilities versus the NHS where we all try to maintain dignity but let's face it most people don't share a room with six other people every night that they go to bed and I suppose you know looking at how you do property versus how other landlords do property moving forward if we're to reinvent the NHS because this would be our one time to be able to do it as a patient what are the things that you would most value having in hospital at the time that you're there or about the whole process that you would really say are actually important? Because I think a lot of patients accept the NHS for what it is, which is a big machine doing great work, but we probably dehumanise patients a bit just to get people through the process. So, you know, if you had any one wish that we could change, what would it be? Or a series of things that you think they could just do better? Yeah, I guess it's down to budgets and staff constraints. I guess the only thing would be that a little bit more time spent with staff or consultants or, you know, you are, when a consultant comes around, it's very much that they've got a great big schedule. So they're in, done, out. Yeah, it's hard because my experience wasn't bad at all. So it's hard to actually pick that apart. But I can just remember that there was, you know, waiting for a consultant was a long time. And when he come, he was gone again. And I know they, that's probably not their job description, bedside time. Actually, it's massive. It's a massive part of our job description. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I expect the consultant's job is to, like, get the work done, bum, 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 and the nurses take care of the patient on a more one-to-one basis. But if that, you're telling me something I didn't know there. Right, no, that's interesting. And I think it is about the perception of... It's interesting that people still have and patients still have this kind of thought process that we as the surgeons or the people that we come in, we loft in, loft out and that's it. And then somebody will come around after us to actually explain what we said. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there is a lot of that that goes on, you know, and that is one of the frustrations that I have about the NHS. And that's why, I, you know, again, have a variety in my life is because we just don't have that level of time to be able to sit and get to know patients and, really understand what their priorities are because you know whatever your injury was somebody else will have exactly the same thing but it impacts their life in a completely different way and being able to you know personalize that for your rehabilitation and getting you back on your feet to where you want to be is not based on what your injury pattern is it's based on you as an individual and I think you know that's where we struggle and we fail in the NHS is that we just can't do that for you to the level that you would want to do for your tenants in their property because I'm sure there's somebody that's renting a property that's exactly the same price point as you except they're giving something out it does the same thing it's got a bed it's got a toilet it's got a kitchen but it doesn't have the same attention to detail if you like yeah which I think people actually nowadays you know we're such an instant society you click on Amazon and get anything, you know, delivered the next day, be it, you know, you can almost buy a car now and you can get a toilet installed and whatever, you know, all of these things happen instantly. I think healthcare is just a bit behind the curve. And for me, I think where this whole period is an opportunity and, you know, crisis is just opportunity in disguise is for healthcare really to see how we change that to give what people really want and I think there is a real thing that in the the Great British Republic we've been so conditioned to believe that the NHS is great and it's brilliant and it's fantastic and it is all of those things and particularly where we've been told we need to protect it everybody's also starting to just accept it for what it is when it could be so much more so waiting times you shouldn't have to wait for your MRI scan why should you 
we should be able to do that better and more efficiently. We should be able to have a conversation with you in your house as opposed to you having to sit and wait for us to come and, you know, give us two minutes of our time when actually, you know, it's your life that gets affected, yeah. you know, and, and, and any surgery in your spine, regardless of what it is, it's not a minor procedure. I'm sure there must have been fears going through your head the night before you were going in for your operation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the unknown. It's just scary. It's out of your comfort zone, isn't it? Completely. It's fear of the unknown, without a doubt. In the next episode, Donna and I talk everything from recession and furlough to ethical investing, travel and the next big project. In a career that spans a decade as a consultant orthopaedic surgeon, working both in the National Health Service and the private sector, I've had the privilege of meeting and treating fascinating individuals from all walks of life, from single mums and factory workers to actors, business leaders and politicians, with the occasional lord and lady along the way. This moment in time has brought fear, but also hope, and most importantly, an intense desire for change. It's up to society, not politicians, not governing bodies, and not the media, to decide what our collective future should be. You can follow Songbirds and Sirens via Facebook, Twitter, or on Instagram. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to find out more, or if you would like to contribute to the conversation, please get in touch.